Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. An Erio's original. I never think that anything is unsolvable. That's one of the things that keeps sort of driving me and forces me to to get up in the morning. It's taking over my dreams, waking me out of my sleep. I think I'm coming apart. Hi, this is Margaret Cho. You're listening to The Margaret Cho. Today we have an incredible guest. It is writer, podcaster, television reporter, so many things. Um, Billy Jensen. Uh, he is an amazing guy, and I am so excited to have him on. Yeah, coming out of the dark. One of the landmarks that I always look for is 1950 Tamarind, which is the place where I think the first Hillside Strangler Mm -hmm. victim, um, she was taken from that apartment building. And then you have Bronson, which goes sort of next to the Gelsons. Mm -hmm. That's where they um, found that flight attendant's head. Do you remember a couple of years ago? Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. That was a strange one. That was a strange one, yeah. Well, anytime you find somebody's head, you can right. usually say it's going to be strange. I remember some hikers were taking photos with it. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah. They, the, I think the people <laughs> who found it took some photos with it, With but this was like during the flip phone era, maybe? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was sort of a complication of what happened. Well, I remember like going into, coming to LA, and I was only here for like six months or something, and... I got invited to a dinner party and it was on Waverly. And I'm just like, why does that sound familiar? So I'm driving around and then I drive and then I look to my left while I'm parking and the LaBianca house was right there. And I was right. just like, oh, wow, that's why I know Waverly. And, mm-hmm. you know, consistently when you're around, whether you're at the, you know, driving um, on Beverly and you're near the El Coyote, which is where Sharon Tate and her party had their last meal. Yes. Or you, you're at the Biltmore at that bar where it was one of the last places that Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia was seen. Mm. It's like LA has all of these, these little places. And as much as we like to say that LA likes to knock down its history, mm-hmm. which they did certainly, and probably the, one of the biggest, most infamous murders in LA history was Robert Kennedy being assassinated, which they, t- yes. which they tore down. But there's a lot of them that are still up here. And it really is out of, 
more than any, I believe more than any other American city, there's more of that kind of stuff. I mean, the Cecil Hotel also downtown. Right. You know, there's just so much of that that has been kind of preserved here mm-hmm. for better or for worse. Well, I feel like there are certain structures that you can't tear down. And so these kinds of events leave a really uh, big psychic imprint. Not necessarily that they're haunted, but it's like we all who sort of read all this stuff and look to this for, you know, just because we're interested in it. I think we put energy into those spaces. Yeah. Like um, the Cecil Hotel is, well, it's now it's sort of like redone into kind of a more sort of a downtown budget hotel. Yeah, Stay on Main, I think it's called now. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there, there's just something undeniably creepy. Well, and they've left the sign up. You know, they've got that great, yeah. that great sort of uh, old fashioned painted sign that's on the brick on the side of it. And they haven't, mm-hmm. they haven't dared take that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, from obviously the Elisa Lamb case, which is the woman that was, she went missing and they were searching for her, but they had that video of her mm-hmm. in the elevator pressing all the buttons and everything. Yes. And it was like, what's going on there? And then she was, you know, the people in the hotel were tasting the water and the water tasted weird. They were yeah. just, why does the water taste weird? And then they found her body in the, um, in the water tower. It, it's almost as if, you know, the, the Wonderland Apartments, you know, on Wonderland mm-hmm. Avenue. It's just, it's like, the, which is where, you know, the John Holmes murders, as, as they call them. Right. There's just so much of that that's around in this area. And that's that's without the, the fictionalized aspect of it, um, mm-hmm. without the sort of the movies that have taken place here that right. you can pass by like you know johnny's uh, coffee shop which isn't even a real coffee shop anymore but like that was in reservoir dogs yeah. or or um the places in la confidential like the mm-hmm. formosa or the frolic room that kind of thing right the one of the things that i love about los angeles is um you know this is where noir lives yeah. and I, I think that there's something to that this dark glamour of it that makes it really appealing for me mm-hmm. and also makes it all very worthwhile living here no matter what you know the traffic and the smoke smoke or whatever mm-hmm. but it's also you know all of this history and um and so i always appreciate uh what you guys do on the murder squad too because there is a kind of a noir i don't know if it's just like um the the branding the way that's the door oh no that would definitely it wasn't really noir it mm-hmm. was slightly noir because that that door in a sense so so the the logo of the podcast for the murder for jensen holes the murder squad is is the door and i knew i wanted it to kind of look like those old detective doors or those yeah. old private investigator doors so i went around and i was looking on the internet and couldn't find any high-res images of those doors yeah so i was working at warner brothers at the time and i was like wait a minute and i just started walking around the lot and I was taking pictures of those of those doors that are yeah. on the lot, and I was able to make some one from there. So it's a combination of that noir type with Dragnet. Right. And the beginning of Dragnet is uh, particularly the Dragnet the 1960s episodes. The beginning of Dragnet 1960s episodes were always you'd have footsteps, you'd walk into a door, which we totally just took, mm-hmm. and then you have uh, Jack Webb coming in and finding his partner doing something strange. Mm-hmm. And I understand that from you know Paul is is the straight man. And I'm sort of like the crazy one um, for our dynamic. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the guy that likes Happy Meals and breakfast cereal and I'm a goth kid and all that stuff. And Paul's very sort of straight at straight all American guy. So um, I'm always doing something that's strange. And that's mm-hmm. and he's always asking me something, you know, what are you doing? You know, we just did a live show in dc and i was just like so now it's like all right well what am i going to do that's strange every week mm-hmm. and uh sometimes i've just got like a Viewmaster. i collect Viewmaster oh, reels yeah. and i'm like doing the Viewmaster. it's like that. what are you doing you know that's great <laughs> and um so uh there's nothing i like better than to just smoke a joint and do Viewmasters. 
Oh, it's it's really because you can escape into the world. Of yeah, it. well, you, it's like you can walk right into it, and the, and especially the fashions of the time, because most of those really good ones were taken. You know, if you look at, it, at the old Disney ones, you know, it's just like the way that they were shot because it's three D. It feels like you can just walk right into it, right. and it's a very personal experience with the Viewmaster. But so with the with the one in DC, I was like, well, what am I going to do? And I was like, I you know, I remember going to the Smithsonian, and the biggest thing at the Smithsonian when I was growing up, when I went, was they had Fonzie's jacket. Oh yeah. So I went to the yes. I went to go to the Smithsonian and Fonzie's jacket wasn't there. It's like no, it's in storage. Uh, so I, I pretend <laughs> I was writing a letter to them, mm-hmm. and then he comes in like, "What are you doing?" And then I go on this whole sort of you know rant about that. And I also found some pictures. Apparently, you know, growing up, and you know, being seven years old in the late seventies, it was like Fonzie and Star Wars were like the big things on my T-shirts because I was going yeah. through old pictures. It's like I had I was a, I was standing Fonzie very heavily. Yeah, that's even good. With, even with all the misogyny that came with Fonzie. Well, <laughs> I don't know yeah. if it's mis- I don't know if it's so misogynist. I think that what it is is that he just sort of was had sort of a mastery. I guess I didn't notice him like negging girls like in the game. Oh, he wasn't doing the game, <laughs> I mean, the, like the Neil Strauss book. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't <laughs> negging anyone. Like it was a very it was actually like this appreciation for women that was really uh-huh. really. I mean, it was um, very European. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the the snap in the fingers thing. I think is the the. Uh... Uh, the, the issue the, looking back on it you know what yeah I mean? the jukebox thing was great and the, being able yeah. to hit the jukebox i mean i think everybody wanted to be able to hit a jukebox and have it start playing i think it was just like the charmed individual that mm-hmm. they would idolize yeah. that. as opposed to the fact that he was probably he looked 37 years old and he was hanging out with teenagers which, which now we go oh well that <laughs> that's that's the he problem. was obviously giving them drugs yes, really is it <laughs> But it's that's um, what we would say if it was not 1950s. Yeah, uh, Milwaukee. That, that and and, uh, and Star Wars certainly. Yes, yeah, Star Wars was the greatest. Well, you know, Star Wars growing up, and I grew up with. It's funny too because in my book, there there's a lot of Star Wars references mm-hmm. in it. Yes, and probably more than any other true crime book that, that's out there. <laughs> yeah. it was so much a, a part of me, and it's the reason why I became a religious studies major. You know, I was sitting there, 18 years old, not knowing what to study. I'm in a religious studies class that I just wandered into, and they start telling me about Joseph Campbell and the mm-hmm. hero's journey and Star Wars, and I start really getting into that, and so that sort of set me on this path in, into a whole whole sort of different realm. Even though crime was always sitting in the back there, yeah. and eventually I went from sort of doing the mythology and religious studies into studying new religious movements which is the way that we called cults, by the way. Yes, yes. And then we, and then I was, that was me like getting drawn back into crime, you know, Mm -hmm. and then I wanted, you know, I went and did my religious studies uh, master's degree in that in, in, uh, in Kansas. And then that's when I was thinking, well, maybe I should apply for the FBI. I was actually working up to apply for the FBI when my dad got sick and then that all went away. And then I, um, while I was painting houses with my dad, I turned to, uh, I eventually turned to journalism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then that was, yeah. But it was always yeah. calling me. It was always sort of there. Yeah. And and Star Wars was always that kind of, as far as like my hero's journey goes, it was, you know, that, you know, growing up without any real religion, as sort of hokey as it sounds, it's like, you know, you watch Star Wars and you see that as a basis, not that I believe in the force or anything, but I do believe things happen for a reason, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a way. It's a definitely a way that we cope. Uh, it's a coping mechanism in the same way that, you know, the Norse mythology created, you know, Thor because they were freaked out whenever the thunder happened. You know, yes. but you know, it's something that is such a part of me uh, with Star Wars, and it's funny too because I, when I met with my my agents at CAA, when I was like, people, all these agents are courting me and stuff, and I was like, I want two things. I want to do this. I want to solve a lot of murders. 
Mm-hmm. And I want I want to get in anything within the Star Wars universe. Just like, get me in there. <laughs> I've actually pitched that. I've pitched that story before. I was like, why is there not? And um, Jennifer Huddle, who who runs Lucasfilm Publishing, I wrote to her and I was like, why is there not a murder mystery in Star Wars? Right. Let me that see that. Seems like that. Let me see that. that and I, like, and I wrote up like thing. a little thing, like two paragraphs, because there's a scene in my book called the Cantina scene, mm-hmm. and I was actually finding a, a murder fugitive in Mexico from my phone in the pop-up Star Wars bar on Hollywood Boulevard, which mm-hmm. was called Scum and Villainy. Mm-hmm. So I felt like, you know, I'm sitting there in the back booth right where Han Solo was. There literally was like a guy dressed as a Jawa walking past me. There was uh-huh. another woman dressed as a an imperial officer. Mm-hmm. There are people that are the bartenders or look like kind of like bounty hunters. And I'm sitting there in the corner, like d- doing, you know, talking with some of these uh, people that were giving me tips on this murder fugitive. And we eventually got him. We got him, mm-hmm. yeah, which was crazy. So I called that the cantina scene. Yeah. And um, th- my idea was to have a, while the stuff is going on, in Star Wars at the cantina, mm-hmm. there's a journalist working on a work at, like in the corner, and you don't see mm-hmm. him, but he's working a case mm-hmm. in that same way in the back there. And there's so many things to do with it because uh, you also don't even hear about journalism there. So it's like, where were in every rebellion? there's a stream of information that's yeah, going out there. Where dis- is that how, happening? How did they yeah. release all of the information and how, like, how do they know? Yeah. How do they know? It's incredible that we have kind of these two realms that people want to live in. It's the Star Wars universe and it's the Harry Potter universe. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I like the Star Wars universe better. I think I would be a Wookiee. I believe that I am a Wookiee. I went through a period where I was really thinking about Chewbacca like too much and I know that he's 225 years old, I believe, mm-hmm. and that they live in trees. All Wookiees yeah. are like uh, treehouse dwellers. Yes. I love his bag of tools. He has uh-huh. like a messenger bag of tools. Yeah. And I mean, I love that he's like really like an honor based honor debt. Like it's very like samurai Mm -hmm. the way that he is. And there's like a peacefulness, even Mm -hmm. though he does have like the uh, ability to kill you. Yes, he could he could (laughs) he could rip your arms off if you if he gets upset when he loses. Yes. As we know. (laughs) And I I thought that the latest is it the next Jedi is going to be a Wookiee. I didn't know that. Really? (laughs) I don't know why. I don't know. Where'd you learn that? Um. I don't know. Maybe I imagined it. Maybe I'm I'm vision boarding it. <laughs> you're, vision-board, you're vision boarding it. All right. Well, if anybody's listening here from Lucasfilm, if Catherine Kennedy's Kathleen Kennedy's li- listening, yeah, maybe that, the, the next Jedi being a Wookiee, I'm all about that. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that there needs to be a murder mystery because you know it would definitely be one there. There's definitely even if it was like one, you know, there's people killing each other in, within the Empire mm-hmm. to, to to get ahead. That's what it was all about, you mm-hmm. know, and. Uh, when he created the empire, he modeled it after the Nazis and mm-hmm. the Nixon administration. Right. And there was definitely stuff going on within that. And uh, and actually, so actually there's three realms for me that I would want to live in. Those are those two realms mm-hmm. and Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I love that too. And you know that, I know you just had him on mm-hmm. and that was a great interview, by the way. Oh, thank you. And just the way that he had put the backstory of Rick, almost like creating his great. IMDb page. I love that, yeah. He's really complete with the way that he writes and that's really important I think that's why I think people really fall in love with his movies yeah Yeah. because you can see the story all the way down and you can imagine you know Brad Pitt's character in 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 Glorious Bastards where like you wonder about him and he's got that rope that rope burn around his neck and you're just like I wonder what that's from and you're also he probably has an idea but you're able to fill in the blanks in your head I wonder what happened you know I live uh, in Toluca Lake and he transformed my neighborhood 
Yeah. Uh, and I walked around that neighborhood when it was transformed because I walked, I was walking past, I was walking towards Foreman's Bar and Grill mm-hmm. and then I see a a record store. I was like, who's opening a record store yeah. in 2018? And I'm looking at it and I was like, I looked into there and it, there were all, it was all old records. It was all 1960s records. I said, I bet this is for the Tarantino right. movie. And then the next day, the entire block was transformed. Mm-hmm. Like so the foreman's became the money tree and mm. there was a whole bunch of things here and there. And it was so great. We actually sat there. We watched it. We watched them do a scene. He used probably two seconds of it. It mm-hmm. was when the he buys, when Brad buys the uh, the cigarette from one of the hippie Girls. Yeah, he used that. That was it. And it was just a close up. Right. So he probably spent, I don't know what he spent. Probably a half million dollars yeah. on transforming that. And then it was like it never happened. It was all gone. Yeah. You know, dri- was driving up here on the two, mm-hmm. which is cool because the two never has traffic. It's like the only yeah. place in LA that doesn't have traffic. It's true. Yeah. So you can feel a little bit like you're in that world beca- mm-hmm. and listen to that soundtrack and listen to Ramblin' Man and, and yeah and um and all those amazing songs from that soundtrack. So I just can't wait until his, his the four hour cut comes out. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. And the, the money tree, it's interesting because the money tree was where J.J. Paulson used to drink. J.J. Paulson was a writer on my television show in 1994 who I had a crush on who uh, ended up moving to Indiana and um, murdering his wife and leaving her in the closet until she had partially mummified. Okay. All right then. So <laughs> that's what this is a g- this is a good segue into yes. my other podcast, The First Degree, yes. which you are going to come on and tell that story. Okay, great. So so the, I do the, I do a podcast called The First Degree. Uh, I do two podcasts: Jensen Holds the Murder Squad and mm-hmm. the and The First Degree. And I do that with Jack Vanek and Alexis Linkletter. Alexis is a, a TV producer. Jack is a former uh, emo kid who, who who does a lot of other stuff. She's on a, um, a show called The Lady Gang, mm-hmm. and we tell the story of a particular murder from the perspective of somebody who's one degree away from the crime. Oh wow, yeah. So okay. we've gotten people that knew Jesse Matthew, who was a serial killer in uh, Charlottesville, mm-hmm. or you know people who knew. Um, who were friends with, like Carolyn Murnick, who wrote the book The Hot One, who was friends with um, the woman that was killed by um, Jarjulo, the uh, 
or the Hollywood Ripper. It was the the, the case. Mm-hmm. It was Ashley Eller, and it was the case that Ashton Kutcher was involved. Right, with, right, yeah. And that's the exact kind of story wow. that you just told me. You just laid that out there. Yes. So you're coming on. I would love that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. How interesting. That's a great that, premise for so your, that, a yeah, podcast. Yeah, and um, it's really good. And we've even gotten people to different as well. We've gotten somebody that witnessed Bundy's execution was actually in the room. Wow. Bundy's execution and what wow. that was like, you know. Mm-hmm. And being able to just just telling those stories through through that lens is mm-hmm. just something that's so different. But that's wild. So he would drink at the money tree. And the money right. tree was kind of this famous place where I think it was a rat pack type place too. Mm-hmm. I think they yes. used to hang out there as well. That whole strip of Riverside, Jack Webb had a tiki bar there. Oh, okay. And he was married to a woman. He broke up with the woman. She married somebody else, but they all used to hang out at that tiki bar. How mm-hmm. cool was Hollywood back then? It's like, so cool. You know what the best thing, you know, about that is that I deal with victims so often. This morning, I, I was talking to a woman whose mother, uh, whose whose son was murdered four years ago, mm-hmm. and she's, and I get those emails every day, and then mm-hmm. I call them up, and and she, you know, she's trying to figure out who killed him, and and mm-hmm. I'm giving her example ideas on what to do, and you know because I have solved murders before, and it's something that I um. You know, people are coming to me, and, yeah. and it's just it's something that I I want to do and I want to keep doing, and th- that sort of stuff gets to you. It's one of the reasons why I do like Star Wars, and I do like this is a little bit of a tangent, but oh, I do like Star Wars and Harry Potter, and people are like, why do you like that stuff, and why you do this or that? It's because that my day starts like that. You know, yeah. my day starts with somebody that is that is so distraught that right. they're they're reaching out to somebody who is um, a complete stranger and mm-hmm. saying, I've exhausted all my abilities. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've put up billboards. I've put up flyers. Uh, this was a, um, a case where she's got three guys who went into her, her, um, her son's apartment and shot him and mm-hmm. they all had masks on. And it's just like, there's not much to go on. But yeah. as I talked to her, I was like, well, there's a little bit to go on. There's a little bit of here. There's a little bit of there. I never think that anything is unsolvable. And yeah. that's what, you know, that's one of the things that keeps sort of driving me and forces me to to get up in the morning. Right. But when I get up in the morning, I'm going to pour a, a ball of Lucky Charms because, mm-hmm. or Count Chocula, if it's, mm. if, it's a, if it's around, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really, I think that's really great. And I think that, you know, what is interesting about the, the true crime kind of explosion and popularity is that, there seems to be less of an emphasis on let's get the murderers as opposed to let's relive and rehash and let's like sort of be in, I don't know if it's schadenfreude or glee Mm -hmm. over the gore or there's something about this sort of explosion of podcasts around and and everything around true crime that for me seems really, um, there's something not, productive about it yeah and it's putting the the serial killers on pedestals when Mm -hmm. they were just schmucks yeah and i don't like that and i very much focus on the victims Mm -hmm. in everything i do when the bundy tapes came out which is which is the second most watched thing ever on netflix behind Mm -hmm. i think um stranger things season two Mm -hmm. and i was waiting for him to draw Berlinger, berlinger uh to to show just a picture of the, each victim at the end of it mm-hmm. and then like maybe a couple sentences and it didn't happen. And I was like, fuck this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this yeah. myself. And I put it up on Twitter and it went viral. And it's just like, and the saddest thing was that you're trying to find information about these women. Every description started with, she was a pretty, right? she was a right. pretty blank. She was a pretty blank. Right. And yeah. 
and some of the women I couldn't even find any information on. Yeah. I mean, I, I was doing it very quickly. I was doing it over the course of like three hours. So I wasn't doing a deep dive. And there's actually a, a documentary coming out um, called Theodore about just his victims. And oh, the yes, reason why yes. the reason why it's called Theodore is because mm-hmm. he hated being called Theodore. Oh, good. And yeah. I didn't realize that, but yeah. Celine, the, the, the woman who's doing it, I was like, why are you calling it Theodore? And she said that. I was like, all right, that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, because we need to, you know, and even when the movie came out with Zac Efron, it's like, all right, well, are you going to show him a, having him being played by a matinee idol mm-hmm. is is problematic. But listen, if he wants to go and try to get his Oscar, that's fine. But B, put a, nobody was ripped back then. Don't take <laughs> off your shirt and be ripped. Think about the the, yeah. the, the stars of the day, Joe Namath and, and Lee Majors. Yeah. And those guys were all little doughy or whatever. Yeah. Don't take off your shirt and be ripped. That's funny. If you want to be De Niro, go all the way yeah. and actually put some pounds on. Yeah. And also, by the way, let's show everything bad that this guy did don't show him don't make a movie that he would be watching and say actually like this which is what Mm -hmm. they did show him as much as you don't want to see it and how horrible it is he's he's raping a woman's head Mm -hmm. that he chopped off and took home you know it's just like this is what this guy was I don't want to see him being played by the guy from High School Musical, mm-hmm. which ruined High School Musical for me, and I'll never watch it again. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not going to sing Soren mm. or um, what's that, the Get in the Game or anything. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it, is, it is strange how subtly the, the, the victims are erased to make space for this sort of applause around this very terrible character. And the thing is, think about this. The more victims you have the more body count you have the more we know about the killer the mm-hmm. less we know about the victims that's so true yeah you know if oj simpson just has a body count of of two who knows mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure that i'm willing to say publicly that he killed nicole and ron mm-hmm. and if he wants to come sue this sue me and sue this podcast mm-hmm. we'll turn that into a podcast <laughs> as we put him on the stand yeah so. Um, but we know a lot about Ron and Nicole, mm-hmm. you know, and especially we did, we did a whole episode actually on first degree with Kim Goldman and talking, mm-hmm. who's kind of like the, one of the sort of epicenters of the first degree, because we knew she was in the courtroom all the time and right. you really felt for her. Her brother was not just collateral damage yeah. of this horrific, abusive relationship mm-hmm. and what happened to Nicole. I mean, he was a person and he had mm-hmm. hopes and dreams and everything. And we know more about them because OJ didn't have 25. It's, it's like you can't really name that much about these people that have killed all these other people. But yeah. we know all about Bundy. We know yeah. he worked for a suicide hotline. And right. he was he did this and that. And he was a law student. And he wore a Seattle Mariners t-shirt to, to court one day. It's like we know all of everything about this mm-hmm. shitbird. And we don't, we don't know about the victims. And I just want to... I, I like to try and show what they what they took away. I mean, mm-hmm. the reason why everyone, whenever anybody asks why I do this, I say because I hate the guy that got away with it. Because mm-hmm. I only I made a decision very early on in my career to only focus on unsolved. And I would say that I say I hate the guy that got away with it, and it's because who gave you the right to take away this life right. and the and the potential of this person and not even the potential of doing something grand that I hate the idea of in a lot of cases that I do are women or men who are, you know, seen not as what the media deems ideal victims. Right. Maybe they have a a drug dependency issue. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're sex workers. They're still people. Exactly. There's much people as everybody else. 
And, you know, some people would look at it and say, well, they didn't have as much potential as somebody else. And I think mm-hmm. that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. And you see it a lot because I see it because I, I'm in television. Mm-hmm. And that's the great thing about podcasts is that you can say, no, you know, we're doing any victim that we want. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in television, what they do is they say there's a hierarchy of victims. Yeah. Pregnant white woman is going to get on the news if she yeah. goes missing. Then little white girl, mm-hmm. then little white boy. And then it goes down from there at the very, very bottom is black transgender mm-hmm. and there's a lot of crimes against black transgendered women there's a lot of of missing african-american women and uh, you and know just indigenous women and, and, and indigenous yeah. women too which we yeah. did a, we did an episode on yes. and we're going to continue to do those because you know people ask me oh you want to want you do this case or that case that are more popular and i'm just like a if it's completely closed i'm not going to do it mm-hmm. b if there's a lot of other people on it mm-hmm. there's so many other ones i mean we've got 220,000 unsolved murders since 1980. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's enough people working on Zodiac. Yeah. I don't need to work on Zodiac mm-hmm. uh, unless I found something that was, you yeah. know, unless I, you know, me and Paul have talked about it over drinks and we say that, you know, if we can get the door that he wrote at Lake Berryessa where he wrote his kind of uh, screed on, maybe if that door was preserved and he might have left some trace DNA, but there's no way that, that there, you know, it's, it's a door. Yeah. It's not like they wrapped it really well. Yeah. It was just thrown someplace and that's it, you know. Um, you know, maybe we can get DNA from one of the letters, but um, we've seen that DNA and it's not, it's not good enough. But, you know, there's so many other cases that are out there that I want. There's just too many, to be honest with you, and I wish I could do, I wish I could do a lot more and, and focus on those cases, focus on those cases that, that are not in the news or in the news maybe, you know, for a day and then Mm -hmm. that's it. Well, one case that I know that uh, you were involved with was really, um, really intense for me, Bear Brooks. Yes. And I think like, you know, that one would have never gotten any attention. Yeah, it was, I had followed Bear Brook, which I call the Allenstown Four. Mm -hmm. So, and that's um, in 1985, uh, hunters found a barrel, mm-hmm. and inside the barrel were the remains of a woman and a child, unidentified, both with blunt force trauma to the back of the head. Yeah. No suspects, nothing. Fifteen years later, same woods, about 100 yards away, the detective or the state trooper who had been assigned to the case is kind of just checking out. He was new on the on the case. He was kind of just checking it out, seeing what this land, lay of the land was like. Sees a barrel, kicks it a little bit, opens it, Two more bodies are found, yeah. and, and it's, it's so close. It's so right close, there. and it's it's bodies of two children. Mm-hmm. It turns out they do DNA. Two of the children are related to the woman; one isn't. Mm-hmm. But it's an almost a complete family unit, and you just don't see that. You don't see a woman and three children who are unidentified mm-hmm. being found like that. So I always gravitated towards the case. I, for Crime Watch Daily, did the first big kind of story about the case. Yeah before it ballooned into something that just got completely different. But mm-hmm. so I went there and the thing about that case is it was very personal to me because so I'd gone to uh this was in April of twenty sixteen. And I'd gone to NICMEC, which is the National Center for Missing Exploited Children, and mm-hmm. I interviewed the the man who uh does the facial reconstructions. Yeah. And he showed me how and we were the first ones actually to put the the pictures of what that looked like what Mm. those blunt force trauma looked like you know Mm -hmm. he showed me the skulls and and how he was able to turn those individuals into you know sort of 3d images then i flew up to boston took uh, you know drove up to bear brook 
interviewed a citizen detective named Rhonda Randall, who had done a lot of work on the case, walked the woods and talked to the DA, assistant DA. I went back and I was just like, wow, you know, maybe maybe we could solve this thing. If mm-hmm. I get this, we do a big piece on it. And it's a Warner Brothers show. It's national audience. I went back and then um, that night I went back to Boston and then I uh, I went out with friends that night. And that was the night that I found out that my friend Michelle McNamara had mm. had passed away. Mm-hmm. And so those cases have always been connected yeah. in my head. Mm-hmm. So, and here's the crazy thing. So Michelle, Patton, who you know, yeah, um, Patton Oswald, uh, when he did his, after she passed away, when he did his comedy special um, called Annihilation, he talked about, Michelle used to say, things don't happen for a reason. It's chaos. Be kind. Mm-hmm. And my mom used to say everything happens for a reason. Yeah. You know, so people have gotten it's chaos. Be kind tattoos and things. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. But this is this is the crazy thing about this. I go back. I, I write like a memorial about her on the plane. I remember I go back and then we go. I go to the memorial and I meet Paul Holes for the first time. Mm-hmm. And we had talked over over the phone and over email. But I met him and, and we talked about GSK for a little bit. Uh, Golden State Killer. And then I talked about, um, and I'd already agreed to and volunteered to patent to, I'll help finish the book. Yeah. I'll, I'll be gone in the dark. So he's, he asked me, what else are you working on? And I start telling him about Allenstown 4 and Bearbrook. Mm-hmm. And I start telling him about they might have DNA and we might be able to, you know, we start talking about familial DNA and I was talking about who I was working with and everything like that. Fast forward to uh, two years later, he solves the Golden State Killer case, right? I go and uh, have breakfast with him, and uh, we actually videotaped it for a um, for this HBO docu series that we're doing. But he he pulls me aside after. It's like, listen, I couldn't tell you at the time, but a few months after we had talked at Michelle's memorial, I ended up on a call with Pete Headley from San Bernardino, who was the guy that was able to identify who the killer of the people in the barrels mm-hmm. were. Mm-hmm. And he told me about how he did it. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a really long story, but he told me that he did it through familial DNA. Yeah. I got in touch with the scientist that he used and the genealogist that he used and used that in order to be able to solve the Golden State Killer case. Wow. So it was almost as if Michelle was solving the case right. still in death. Yeah. And people would always ask me like, did Michelle's book have anything to do with it and everything like that? And I know that at the, that press conference, they were they were they were like almost gleeful in saying that it didn't have anything to do with it, but mm-hmm. it did. Yeah. Um, her article did, and her passing away did because yeah. people. It's 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 no coincidence that two months after she passed away, and it was literally an international story, mm-hmm. that a new reward is put out. Um, a press conference is put out yeah. a some, saying that we're going to work with the FBI uh, harder. Mm-hmm. That happened because of that. Yeah, because, of course, of yeah. course. And the fact that she was able to bring us together, you know, this offhanded story, and then he takes that ball and he runs with it. So when I think of it's chaos, be kind. There was some weird cosmic chaos going yeah. on, especially. And then the fact that the the night of the solve was the first night that we were filming this HBO docu-series mm-hmm. and we didn't know it was solved we all happened to be in Chicago everybody who worked on the on the case so it was on the book so it was Gillian Flynn from Gone Girl mm-hmm. she wrote the forward yeah Patton Paul Haynes her lead researcher mm-hmm. and me and we did an event in Chicago which is her hometown we stayed at the hotel that they would stay at every Christmas 
we go to the event we get the same questions over and over like we usually would do at the event like you know do you think it'll ever be solved and i said yes it'll be solved mm-hmm. within five years turns out probably within 15 minutes of me answering that question he was being arrested wow and uh you know and just everything just strange happening sort of at the same time the first time that we were you know, her family was in the audience yeah and it was just such a special night of like the cosmic stuff coming together yeah that the the it's chaos because there was some crazy chaos going on yeah, uh, in connected chaos yeah so it still gives me goosebumps when i think about it's it it's so gratifying i mean it's what a terrible tragedy to lose her but you know this it it's just it's amazing how everything just changed because of her yeah it, it really it it really did and um just when i volunteered to do the book and i talked to pat in that next a couple of days after she passed and I was just like, I'll do anything I can to help finish mm-hmm. the book because a, there was two reasons. One is because I knew how good it was going to be. And yeah. I, actually three reasons. One, I knew how good it was going to be. She's an awesome writer. I wish I was as good a writer as her Two, I knew how hard she was working on. It. Yeah. And, and the setbacks that she had gotten, cause we would go out to lunch or dinner and she'd be like, I, th- I remember her coming. Like, I think I solved it, you know? Yeah. And then she didn't. And it was like, yeah. But then three, we, w- we had so many plans to do other projects. Mm-hmm. And then it was always like, she had to finish the book first. Yeah. She's like, and I was constantly telling her, I would, I would quote Steve Jobs, which is all artists ship. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to ship it at some point. You know what I mean? It's just like, so I was constantly saying that. So it was like, I had to get that done for those three reasons. Yeah. And uh, working with, um, with Paul and with Patton. And it was, it was, it was difficult to do, but it was easy to do because she was such an amazing writer and the stuff that we were finding in her computer you know, and I still do that, too, because, like, her hard drive is still on my computer. So when mm-hmm. I do searches, like, her stuff comes up still. Oh, yeah, you know what I yeah, mean? yeah. So it's, you know, when I'm doing just a random search for things, and I just yeah. see how much, it's crazy how much stuff she had, how much research that she did for that. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'll just do a search for something that seems, like, kind of innocuous, and it'll be, like, three of my files, and, like, 20 of hers <laughs> will show up. Yeah. But, yeah, she she seemed, like, such a very, um, so tenacious. And then, you, you know, you sort of read it in the book, and then you, you know... You just feel it and all of the devotion that she put to this case. Yeah. And and she was tenacious and she also had this great ability to bring people together. Mm-hmm. And it's like, all right, these different jurisdictions, which you see a lot about how jurisdictions don't work with each other. Right, it's one right. of my, the banes of my existence. Mm-hmm. You got these guys from this jurisdiction, these guys from this one. I'm taking you out to dinner. I'm going to buy you a steak. going to buy you drinks. You guys are going to talk and share information. Mm-hmm. And she did that. And, yeah. um, and not only share information with each other, but share information with her. It's so good. Yeah. So good. Um, another case that I know that you worked on, and, and uh, this one really bothers me, is the Spreckles Mansion and Rebecca Zahau. Like, this whole thing is so, all of it is so, I can't even, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a Rebecca Zahau case is um, a woman is found hanging naked, bound with her hands behind her back and gagged from the balcony of a mansion in Coronado, you know, million dollar, multi-million dollar mansion of her millionaire boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Three days prior to that, his son, who was under her care, had fallen kind of off this balcony down the steps. But the balcony was in, there's a different balcony, but it was inside the house and had um, catastrophic injuries. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of stuff that's sort of swirling around. Mm -hmm. And when you would do, you know, my first thing with looking at these cases of whether it's a suicide or whether it's a murder, let's let's put aside whether somebody would ever do that, would ever hang themselves naked Mm -hmm. while bound. Yeah. 
let's put that aside for a second. Say what the victimology was and what was, had she ever said anything about suicide before, which mm-hmm. she hadn't going through her texts, going through her journals. They were trying to say the police department that throw all that away because she got a phone call an hour before from her boyfriend saying that Max, who is the little boy is never going to walk and talk again. Mm-hmm. And that sent her over the edge to do this ridiculously complex yeah. way of killing yourself. There was also, you know, and we studied the scene and we actually reconstructed the entire scene. Mm-hmm. We reconstructed it. We built a model of the uh, what the room was like mm-hmm. and then also where she was hanging from. And uh, the, she left a note with paint on a door. Mm-hmm. And she was a very kind of verbose writer, very flowery. Mm-hmm. And would you really want the the last her last words to be so succinct? Yeah. And they were also written in the third person too. Mm-hmm. You know, so we went through, and me and Paul and uh, Lonnie Coombs, who is a former prosecutor, we went through all of these experiments to see whether she could have done that physically. Mm-hmm. So victimology, I'm thinking, no, she's not doing this. We went to like a bondage expert and see if we could tie hands behind our back mm-hmm. to went to a dungeon. We could do it. Yeah. We, we could have tied the rope. We could have kind of hopped over to the balcony. We could have kind of thrown ourselves off of the balcony. We could have done all that. It was possible uh, physically, but there were certain things about the crime scene that didn't make sense. And there's certain things about it where you, I mean, which is always great when to have a different perspectives, because when you look at the, the way that the body was found, the rope was over her hair. Mm-hmm. And anytime you're ever putting on something like a, um, a necklace or something like that, you're going to put your hair over it. You know what I mean? You're going to put it under your hair. So like yeah. if you have long hair and you're going to put it up like that. And that's something that Lonnie said. It's just like that makes it just it's like physically you're uncomfortable looking at that. Uh, not to mention the fact that uh, of how horrific it is. But it's just like why would she you know, it's just like you normally would do that. Yeah. Just put it up. Like definitely. That. Definitely. And um, just like things like that. Why was there you know, there was like a couple knives there. Uh, there was this paint there. And the, you know, so as far as suspects go, there was these twin sisters who were the, the, the mother of, mm-hmm. uh, of Max. And there was uh, the brother of this guy who was Max's dad, who was her boyfriend, who was a tugboat captain, kind of a rough around the edges guy who was staying in the back house, like the guest yeah. house. And they sued him. So the San Diego refused to press charges and they said this is a this is a suicide uh, the family sued him in civil court and won mm. and then i think they i think they um settled they, they might have said they, i don't know if they i think they won but then they settled and um it just doesn't look like it was a suicide and, and you get that a lot you get a lot of parents contacting you mm-hmm. saying you know i don't think this was a suicide and right. a lot of some you know this 45,000 people kill each other every year mm-hmm. it's three times as many as their murders it does happen but it there have been cases it's a very small minority but there have been cases where people have tried to cover up a murder and mm-hmm. make it look like a suicide yeah and this was one of them and it yeah. was just crazy it's a it's, it's an such awful, a crazy, crazy case. it's an awful crazy and i don't know but it it makes me glad that you're covering this and reporting on this and solving these things it's really important I applaud you. Oh, well, thank you so much, Margaret. And I'm grateful for it. you. Now, um, the book is so amazing. So people, uh, you you know, you have to get it. Uh, you're on social media. So where I'm are on you social, at? I'm at, at Billy Jensen on Twitter and on Instagram. 
Mm-hmm. And um, Chase Darkness with me is the name of the book. Uh, the First Degree is one of the podcasts. Jensen Holes, The Murder Squad is the other podcast. Thank you, Billy. Thank you so much. Never miss an episode of The Margaret Show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The Margaret Show is an Erios production with editing by Kat Hong and original music by Garrison Starr. Powered by ACAS. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.